I want to welcome uh, to my show uh, somebody you already know, Mrityunjoy Guha Majumdar, who just finished his PhD from Cambridge in theoretical physics and has gone back to India to work in the prestigious Tata Institute of Fundamental Research, TIFR. Uh, we all know that it's sort of India's cutting edge place in, in these kind of uh, topics. So welcome to the show, um, uh, Mrityunjoy. Thank you, Rajivji. Thank you for having me. So what... I mean, my viewers know you because we've interviewed you once before. It was a very provocative, very exciting show. But now it's in a your it's in your different uh, incarnation as a physicist. <laughs> so, uh, and I'm very interested in that. Tell us about what you are doing in TIFR in the world of quantum computing, which is very fascinating. So at the moment, um, I'm looking at um, a specific form of implementation of this thing called quantum computing, this whole formalism called quantum computing. Uh, in my doctoral studies and even previously, I have worked on the theoretical aspects of quantum computing, uh, particularly looking at uh, various kinds of applications um, in, in the domain of cryptography, for instance, um, also in terms of communication protocols. Um, in TIFR, we are looking at uh, the specific implementation in uh, uh, the condensed matter system uh, called Meorana fermions. Um, and uh, we have a group there which is working with other um, you know, um, groups in IISC Bangalore, for instance, um, and across the country to try to bring together uh, these varied um, you know, uh, resource persons and groups um, to implement this uh, on this platform, basically. This is uh, not just something theoretical and esoteric. It's not like a, 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 you know, a, a kind of a telescope that will look for new galaxies. But it's going to affect you here and now. Yeah, it's going to affect our lives yes. uh, very soon. So tell us, for instance, in the defense sector, uh, yes. the, both U.S. and China are racing because yes. they think that whoever develops this first could actually have a huge decisive advantage and finish off the other, literally. So what are the defense? Why is it such a big deal for defense? Right. So I mean, um, quantum computing in general is. Um, the use of uh, quantum physics and um, you know quantum particles for implementation in information processing, uh, and one specific aspect of this is in cryptography. Um, and as you may know, that our um, all our networks in the in the country, for instance, in terms of um, you know cybersecurity, in terms of communication channels as well, uh, has these things called crypto systems. Uh, these ways of encrypting data so that so as to make it secure, for instance. Um, and there are various kinds of crypto systems. So there are symmetric and asymmetric crypto systems. Um, and the asymmetric crypto systems are based on the sharing of certain keys for getting access to how to unravel or uh, decode what is being encrypted in the system, so to say. Um, so if you have a powerful enough computer and you can run through the various possible permutations of what this key can be, there is a very interesting and easy way, I mean, in, in a certain manner, uh, to crack uh, open this um, key and get access to the information that is encrypted therein. Um, and so that is a huge threat in itself. Um, and as you may know, our, our cybersecurity, um, you know, we have various public uh, networks, public, um, you know, security systems, uh, so to say. Uh, and uh, if there is a powerful enough uh, computer, uh, although we're still some way off from there uh, at the moment, um, but it can really pose a very strong risk towards, uh, you know, this kind of a platform that is there across the country in terms of a crypto system. Um, also, uh, if you were to look at things like, uh, you know, quantum satellite technology, where, um, you know, there are these 
these um, new findings and new uh, pursuits and ventures which have been carried out by the Chinese, uh, you know, scientists recently, for instance, um, where there is a manner in which they can also relay information from uh, the Earth to satellites out in space, for instance. Um, so around us, especially in China, there has been a lot of development uh, on how to apply the power of quantum physics for information processing. Uh, and if we do not have, if you don't have a balance of sorts, um, I'm not saying that this is something, I don't want to be an alarmist or, you know, cause panic, so to say, uh, but it is only right to have deterrent technology and capabilities um, so as to be uh, strong enough and secure enough as, uh, if there were to be any such threat that comes about. Yeah. Excellent. So I'll just recap because every time uh, 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 a sophisticated subject matter expert comes and I love it, uh, I want you to say exactly all the details. Then my job is to also rephrase it, paraphrase it, yes. so people hear it twice. So people shouldn't say, why is this guy repeating? But I'm repeating because most of our audience need to hear it twice, need to hear it in a simple way. So, I, I'm, so I, my, my summary, a restatement of what you said is that when you encrypt uh, a message so that it's encoded and it's not, it's a, it becomes a secret, nobody can understand it if they are wiretapping. Uh, at the other end, other end, somebody, uh, if somebody is wiretapping, they will, they will find it's all garbage and gibberish they won't understand unless they have a key to decrypt it, decode it, break the key. And if they have a powerful enough computer, they can do that. Yes. So it's a question of which computer is more powerful. Uh, if, if my computer is more powerful and I encrypted it and you are trying to break it, your computer is not that great, you're not going to be able to do it. It'll take you far too long and by then the information will be obsolete. But if your computer is more powerful than mine, then no matter how well I encrypt it, you're going to be able to break it. That's what it is. So it's really like, is my missile better or your missile better? If my missile goes 200 miles and your missile goes 500 miles, you'll keep your missile beyond the range of my missile. And from there, you shoot me down. I mean, it's really that. If you can get an advantage, then you can, uh, you can use that advantage to finish off the other guy. So quantum computing takes this whole encryption to a new level. So, so if I have a normal computer like the ones today, which are called classical computers, so if I have a classical computer and you and I am encrypting and I think I'm secure, but you have a quantum computer, you don't even have to tell me, but you're listening to everything. You have, you have figured out everything that's going on without my knowledge. And, and that's a major security issue. Uh, on the other hand, I won't be able to break into your communications because you have a quantum yes. computer and I have a weaker computer. Yes. And Yes, and also there is uh, the uh, the aspect of quantum systems, which is that they are very delicate as well in terms of uh, this thing called uh, decoherence. And um, you know, if you try to tap into a quantum computer, uh, it will destroy the message uh, in a manner which is uh, which will make it uh, gibberish again. It will not be. It will not make much sense. Uh, so there is a certain resilience issue. So there is a way in which quantum systems are inherently resilient to external attacks. Um, so not only is your computer not strong enough to come into the system into the quantum network, but also because of this decoherence, this, this resi internal resilience, uh, it, that will also couple with uh, the former and, and create a greater um, chance that you will not be able to get much out of, you know, trying to attack uh, this, this uh, quantum network, so to say. This is enough to uh, excite defense people. And I'm sure yes, yes. much of this TIFR research is uh, defense oriented. Yeah, yeah. I want to understand where things are in terms right. of uh, who's, who, who are the leaders. So. Right. When you say quantum computing, which companies in the world come to mind as the leaders? 
So at the moment, uh, there are uh, groups, uh, research groups in various universities which have had tie-ups with various companies um, and companies have their own research laboratories across the world. Um, so in the US, for instance, you have IBM, Intel, uh, Google, um, um, which are very kind of uh, doing extremely good research on this front. How about Microsoft? Microsoft as well. Microsoft has a Microsoft Q station. There is a certain specific laboratory for that. Um, and they are right at the forefront. Um, and all these labs have different platforms, physical platforms that they are using. Um, so for instance, some are using superconducting, um, you know, physical systems. Some are using photonic systems. Um, and each of these platforms has a certain kind of, they have pros and cons. Um, so there is a, for instance, a trade-off between how long you can protect a quantum bit, which is the fundamental unit in a quantum computer, um, or how many of them can you use at one point, uh, or what kind of implementation of certain circuits you can do with those systems. So there's a trade-off between all these different uh, dimensions that a quantum computer can have. So some of the platforms are better on one of them or a few of them, and the others are on others. So you have to kind of pick and choose as to what works best for you, essentially. Um, so for instance, um, for communication, which is long distance communication, people often prefer photonic systems, optical systems, um, because of the manner in which it can be protected. I mean, the information can be protected using photons in, let's say, uh, fiber optics or, or, you know, using uh, I, uh, cladded, um, you know, uh, transmission channels, for instance. Um, whereas for more localized um, computation units, we use uh, things such as quantum dots. Um, we use things uh, in semiconductor physics um, and also in superconductors, for instance. Um, so you have to kind of, again, uh, have a hybrid of sorts depending on what is to be done. Um, having said that, I mean, uh, you also have um, you know groups which are working with uh, university labs as I was saying so for instance where I was working previously in the Cavendish laboratory uh, we had a Hitachi Cavendish laboratory which was established there uh, which had a fabrication unit specifically for uh, fabricating different kinds of chips uh, which could possibly uh, undertake quantum computation it was obviously at a very early stage still. It's still being kind of worked on. Um, but similar to this, you have groups in, for instance, Australia, uh, the University of New South Wales, for instance, um, in, in Harvard and MIT as well. There are groups which are working with companies out there. Um, so it is about tapping into the academic and intellectual uh, capital, which is out there in these universities, uh, as well as the state-of-the-art uh, infrastructure, which is there in the companies, uh, bringing them two together. I think that is the way these uh, various entities are working. Um, in terms of countries, wide investments. Um, there are few countries which have stood out. Um, so obviously the United States uh, does stand out because of its uh, US National Quantum Initiative Act, um, whereby they have committed $1 billion per annum. Um, and then there is China, which has looked at uh, the National Laboratory for Quantum Information Science. Um, again, th there has been a huge investment of about $10 billion uh, last I read. Um, and there has been work in the European Union as well, uh, where quantum technology for commercial purposes Purposes, uh, is being looked at, uh, especially in Netherlands, where there is a quantum uh, Q-Tech Center for quantum computers. Um, in the United Kingdom as well, we have the UK National Quantum Technologies Program. Uh, and uh, in the Asia, we have Singapore, which has been looking at it quite closely. Uh, we have this thing called the Center for Quantum Technologies, which is quite well known and has been doing seminal work in the area of quantum information. Just to unpack this, Many, when you list who, when I asked him to list who are the who's main suppliers or main research people, there's not an Indian entity which is like on the top 10 as of today. No, not as of now, yes. Not as of today. Yeah. Okay. This is very important. We're not in the ten, top 10 in terms of company, in, uh, companies, universities, etc., uh, developing this technology. 
Uh, we'll talk about later on how to become one of the top 10. So far, we are not. And, and one of the clues he gave to their success is how industry, big industrialists, not just pocketing their money and becoming billionaires and flying in private jets and having a good time, they're doing that too. But they're also investing in universities. So, you know, he pointed out how Harvard and MIT and Cambridge and uh, Australian universities and all kinds of places are tied up uh, with industry where they want to tap the brains, the brains of the scholars and the students, uh, you know, in, in these departments and, and get them to do this kind of work. So the benefit goes to the university because uh, it nurtures bright students for the future. Uh, and and it, it goes to the industry because they get all the intellectual property. So both sides benefit. Uh, and India doesn't have a Reliance or a Infosys or a TCS or, a, you know, uh, one of these kind of big, big guys, HCL. Well, you don't have these kind of guys saying, okay, here's a billion dollars. I'll give it to, I'll give it to Indian Institute of Science and somebody could say, I'll give a billion dollars to this IIT or something and you guys develop it. And this will be our technology five years from now. We are thinking, of, we are basically milking what we can now, short term. Uh, you know, and when you are in a short-term mode, uh, you, you don't you don't want to you don't have the mentality to invest the next generation. You'll just license it from somebody else. Uh, we'll just license it back from some American company and yeah. pay them a huge amount. Plus, we'll also be one generation behind. Uh, so the, this this idea of uh, we'll always get it from somewhere else is not a good idea. Uh, this is this is uh, hurting our country quite a bit. What are the qualities of a quantum computer? Is it speed? Is it power? Is it what is the what are the qualities uh, compared to the normal today's computer? And by what factor? I mean, no, regular computers also keep increasing by you know few percent every year, and they double every three four years. But quantum computing is a huge jump. So how big is the jump between regular computers and quantum computers? I think people should know. What, how drastic this whole thing is. Tell us. Before going to that uh, very important point, I just wanted to give a little bit of context in terms of how the quantum world is fundamentally very different from the classical world. Um, uh, to take a little while. Um, so the thing is, at the very beginning of the 20th century, um, actually the turn of the 19th century, um, there was this famous physicist, Michelson, who, who proved the, um, you know, the theory of relativity and looked at how ether, the idea of ether could be dismissed with experiments. Um, in 1894, he mentioned uh, a very famous line where he says that um, all we need to do in physics at the moment is to kind of fix certain decimal points and we will have known all of physics more or less. Um, but within almost a decade or rather a little more than a decade, uh, in 1905, uh, Albert Einstein uh, gave us four seminal papers um, and one of them was on the photoelectric effect um, and that expanded on previous work by Max Planck and various others. Um, the key point there was the idea that in the quantum, in the, in the minister domain in the, in the in the very microscopic world um, you have this idea in by which properties uh, have a certain quantized nature so what do I mean by quantized nature they come in certain packets so to say uh, of let's say energy or momentum or certain other properties um, and this domain that we're talking about is very different from the world that we live in uh, which is called the classical world um, and that the world out there is probabilistic in nature so you can have a, a certain way in which a, a certain property or a certain entity can have multiple different properties it can assume with a certain probability of having each of 
of them. So to give you an example in the real world, um, you know, when we see a table, for instance, or a certain object, uh, we see it as having a definite property. So it has a certain shape, it has a certain color. Um, in the quantum world, they, it would possibly have something known as a superposition. So it could be, let's say, red and green and black and blue at the same time, Till we actually measure it to be something. So it's a very counterintuitive idea. Uh, the whole idea of reality is defined by your act of measurement or observation. And so how is this important in terms of quantum computation? Uh, in the uh, world of information processing and computers, you have this thing called bits, which are the fundamental building blocks of uh, any computing system. Um, so these are zeros and ones, as we know. Um, in the quantum world, because of this property of superposition, one can have something like uh, an alpha zero plus a beta one. What do I mean by that? Um, you can have a, a manner in which you can have a superposition of the zeros and ones. So instead of having just the two bits, which you would have in a classical system, you could have in principle an infinite number of building blocks or bits, so to say. So you can immediately see that the, the entire space we are working with in terms of computing expands tremendously. So even the building block is so much more powerful than the classical counterpart. So in that regard, it is obviously very efficient. It is very powerful in terms of the speed. So to give you a little bit of numbers here, um, it is said that the quantum computers can be a million times faster than a regular computer chip. Um, with Google announcing that it has a quantum computer that is 100 million times faster than any classical uh, counterpart in its lab, so to say. Um, Quantum computers can also withstand cyber attacks, as I was mentioning previously, uh, better uh, than their classical counterparts. Um, quantum computers can also obviously be miniaturized very well uh, because they are inherently off the microscopic or the very minuscule scales, whether we're talking about. Uh, so for instance, to give you again numbers here, about 1500 quantum bits, uh, 1500 quantum bits uh, in Intel's new qubit D1D fab chip um, can fit across the diameter of a single human head so to say. So you can imagine the kind of miniaturization and the kind of packing and composition we are talking about. Uh, and obviously, quantum computers are also more efficient. Uh, and uh, if, you, if you say that, you know, modern classical supercomputers, for instance, uh, use about one to 10 uh, megawatts on average, for instance, in terms of power consumption, uh, whereas a comparable quantum computer can do that or uh, and could, can do such operations in just about 25 kilowatts, for instance, right? So there is a huge amount of efficiency, speed, and miniaturization that comes into the picture with quantum computers. So we're talking about uh, 100 million times faster. We're talking yes. about 150th the power consumption. We're talking yes. about a fraction of the size. And so this is so big, such a big deal. I mean, yes. the, the countries which have it, uh, compared to the countries which don't, don't have it, it'll be like somebody having tanks and somebody else fighting. <laughs> for the I mean, right. it's like that. So, you know, it's a shame that we haven't uh, invested enough early enough to be one of the leaders in the world in, in India. Uh, and now we're catching up uh, maybe 10 years behind or some, some large amount of years behind. Uh, so I'm glad you are there and be glad you're in India and, and uh, at least doing your best to do, you know, to catch up. Now, yeah. let's look at some of the applications, not just defense. I mean, there's application in medicine, there's application in finance and telecommunications. So tell us something about uh, what, how would a quantum computing world be different and better than the normal computer? 
I mean, so quantum computers can help in a lot of areas. Um, because of the computational power it comes with, uh, it obviously can help with research. Um, so for instance, in pure sciences and engineering applications, uh, the greater computational power can help us immensely. So to give you an, a, a specific example, recently a research group undertook uh, the experimental implementation of uh, what is known as a Hartree-Fock calculation. It's a very complex, uh, a fairly involved kind of calculation within physics um, of molecular electronic energies. Um, and that was done on a superconducting processor, so to say. And uh, that was possible because of the, the formalism that we are talking about, the quantum computing domains. And it was uh, feasible to do it in a certain manner, which was realizable, so to say. Um, we have already discussed about defense. So uh, space and cybersecurity uh, and warfare and deterrence capabilities, these are areas where quantum computers can really help us, uh, particularly with respect to public key crypto, crypto systems um, and quantum satellite technology. Um, you know, and, and I go back to the point that India is kind of a little, I mean, behind, and I would say quite behind actually, um, China in this particular regard, and which is a little troublesome and a little kind of, you know, um, worrying, essentially. Um, quantum computers can also be useful for energy purposes. Um, so for instance, if you have to optimize power grids, which are, you know, what um, create the network and the fundamental units um, for energy, uh, you know, uh, distribution, uh, optimizing power grids, that is somewhere where it can be helpful. Um, it can also help in monitoring oil and gas deposits, for instance, um, very efficiently, so to say. Uh, it can discover new materials for uh, more efficient carbon capture, which is a big thing uh, in today's world when we talk about energy. And it also has obviously efficient data processing for the energy sector. But more importantly, as I see it, quantum computers can also help in medicine, which is, which is very important for humanity. Um, you know, a quantum machine learning, for instance, can be used to diagnose um, illnesses sooner. Um, and, and you could have things like clinical trials with virtual uh, humans uh, simulated lives. So for instance, if you have to look at uh, if the, a certain problem can be resolved in a certain specific manner, um, you need to have a simulation, a virtual simulation of sorts. It could possibly help with that. Um, it could also help in moving hospitals to the cloud, to the cloud technology, uh, to make it remotely accessible to various people um, in a manner where uh, everything is more efficient and more compact, so to say. Um, it can also help with predictive health uh, and security of medical data. As I was mentioning, um, you know, data is very important and quantum data can have a certain resilience and it can kind of help us in protecting that in a certain specific manner. Um, and thereafter, you also have finance and business. For instance, in economics, you can have things like financial strategies, which uh, quantum computers are said to have, you know, people have been working on this on the theoretical front uh, in terms of how it can optimize these strategies. Um, it can also help in detecting fraudulent activities in the market. Uh, it can have complex forecasting of the markets, which can be facilitated. Um, things like portfolio optimization optimization, uh, asset pricing, and risk analysis as well. These are things which uh, quantum computers can help with. Um, last but not the least, uh, communication. Because uh, you know, when we talk about internet, um, there is this thing called the quantum internet that has come to the fore uh, fairly recently. Uh, people have been looking at how to encode um, you know, uh, worldwide, let's say, networks uh, which can carry information. Uh, and uh, quantum computation can help with fast and secure communication. Uh, usually, uh, you know, as 
as I was mentioning, that photonics are used for these kinds of implementations. Uh, and we can also have things like quantum RAN or the radio access networks, uh, which can be deployed. Um, and obviously, we are looking at uh, uh, an international kind of quantum network, um, you know, uh, infrastructure as well. But we are still some way off from kind of realizing that at the moment. So these are the various ways in which quantum computers can really help humanity and society, so to say. I've been doing a lot of research on artificial intelligence. Yes. And, and, and uh, my book is on artificial intelligence. When you look at AI, uh, near term advantages are based on who has more big data and who's used, right. utilized it for machine yes. learning. Uh, then later on, a bigger, bigger advantage is algorithms and who has the large install base to keep capturing more and more big data. Uh, but when, when you look at longer term, uh, the hardware advantage becomes very important. This processing power becomes very important. So now using silicon itself, they are creating a whole lot of AI chips. I mean, yeah. you have all the, all, you have uh, NVIDIA and uh, Intel and China into it, US Department into it. So these are AI hardware, specific AI hardware because the general purpose computer is just not going to be good enough. Quantum computing is one of those game changers in AI. Yeah. Uh, because because it, it's sheer speed and the ability, I mean, yeah. we're not talking about double, triple, tenfold. That would also yes. be a big advantage, but you're talking about a millionfold, hundred millionfold. Yes. I mean, now all of a sudden you can do, you can do AI of an of a absolutely amazing scale. I mean, yeah. you, could, you could actually look at every one of 20 billion cameras in the world right. and do facial recognition and tell you exactly where is Mithunjoy in the whole world right now. Right. I mean, this is mind-boggling, but you could do it right. because yeah. you just need a huge amount of bandwidth and speed. Absolutely. So when, when people say, well, why do you need so much speed? Well, you need so much speed because you're going to create something like a, a omnipresent, yeah. like a, almost like an omnipresent uh, uh, you know, intelligence that has got these tens of billions of eyes and ears and hundreds of billions of sensors and uh, with, with unlimited bandwidth and unlimited computing power and all these machine learning algorithms, uh, you know, what you're going to see is the coming together of these technologies in a world where uh, they'll be the, the haves and have nots will be so dramatically different. Uh, some people like uh, Harari, one of the, the guy who wrote this Sapiens book in one yes, of those yes. sequels to that book, he talks about superhumans who will yes. be as different from us as humans are from animals. That's what he says because of all this augmentation. And all this augmentation is going to end up in your brains. And this is where Josephson comes in. Or all, A lot of this is going to be brain-machine interface. So this, yes. these supercomputers in the cloud uh, and these, uh, these implants, uh, this artificial intelligence, you're going to see a whole different world. And this is not science fiction. And I'm not talking about 100 years later. I'm talking about during your life. Uh, hopefully, maybe during my life also, maybe. Right. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. Because I don't think this is going to take that long. I mean, I see by the end of this decade, a whole lot of very powerful things coming together. Absolutely. I think at the moment, it already, there are, I mean, as I was mentioning, there are systems which have come to the fore. I mean, uh, Intel, for instance, has been developing these chips um, and, and systems. Um, there is this uh, publicly available, um, you know, uh, software. It's, 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 a, it's a site, website uh, called IBM Quantum Experience, um, which IBM has kind of put forth. Um, and you can actually do computations on a quantum chip, on a quantum system, so to say, which IBM has housed in its own kind of, um, you know, facilities. Um, 
um, and you can do various complex things with it. I mean, in terms of circuit building, in terms of computation. Um, so we have already reached at least that level, essentially. Um, in terms of what is next, I think integrating all these things together, right? I mean, making it a one composite computing unit, so to say, um, that is what is the next step, uh, which you know various companies are looking at. Yeah. Uh, in India, there is fragmentation. I mean, tell us about the scene in India. There's IITs, there's Indian Institute of Science, there's uh, TIFR, there's all of these guys scattered here and there. Uh, why don't they put together something like Bhava Research Center or ISRO for space? I mean, I always give examples of two domains uh, which are decades old, whereas the term an AI domain is new. But in those old domains, I mean, we may think of anything about, we may blame Nehru for lots of things, but you know, he and Homi Baba and a few others, yeah. Vikram Sarabhai, they came up with all these ideas to put India in the race for atomic energy and for space. And today we, are, we, we, we would not be safe as a country if we didn't have these two. I'm predicting that in the next decade, not going to be 50 years, but in the next decade, if we are not, if we haven't put together these latest technologies of which quantum computing is one, uh, into a ISRO scale and a Baba Atomic Research scale yeah. uh, institution where uh, some organization which has not, you know, 500 people, 2,000, which has got tens of thousands of people like these have, yeah. these yeah. other places have, and which is then coordinating with lab, with labs and scientists and universities and private sector and all that and making sure it's all coordinated. That's the way China is doing. That's the way U.S. Department of Defense is doing. Uh, India needs something like that. So do you see the absence of that a problem or how do you see about this, this whole fragmentation of technology in India? Um, I think you, you've raised a very important point. Um, I think in terms of um, India's development and, and, and status quo, so to say, in quantum computing, um, India does not have a concerted initiative on building, let's say, a central quantum computing hub or, or, or a certain kind of you know, system, so to say. Um, there isn't a central institution for quantum computation or technology, um, such as ISRO is for space research, for instance. Um, we do have independent research groups in the various um, you know, institutions. Um, so for instance, I myself have been associated with uh, the research groups in ICER Kolkata back in my undergrad days, um, where there has been very good work in terms of you know, theoretical aspects of um, you know, um, uh, multi-qubit systems. Uh, when you have multiple qubits and you have to do computation or communication with that, uh, what do you do with you know, that kind of a system? So there has been work on that front. Um, I have been liaising and working with uh, a group in IIC Bangalore. Uh, there are a few groups actually in ISC Bangalore, India Institute of Science, um, which are looking at photonic systems and how to build integrated systems which can um, have you know long distance communication uh, when it comes to um, you know optical system based quantum information processing and communication. Um, I currently obviously I'm working with TI, the TIFR group in Meorana fermions. There are other groups in PRL, for instance, the Physical Research Laboratory in Ahmedabad. Um, there are IITs and the JIIT as well, where you know people are looking at various different applications and protocols. Um, so we have things like, for instance, uh, quantum key distribution, which uh, which is being done uh, by this group in PRL Ahmedabad. Uh, where they're trying to relay information across two separated buildings and trying to see if it can be relayed uh, you know, from one to the other and back again. Um, and so these very interesting experiments are being done. Uh, but having said that, we don't have things like, for instance, teleportation, which is a very important, I mean, this may sound like sci-fi again, uh, but this is an actual kind of protocol within quantum computation, uh, where you try to teleport the state of a system from one place remotely to somewhere else completely. So it's not quite like Star Trek uh, 
by teleportation because you kind of destroy the original and transmit it to a new place. And there's a certain reconstruction almost of sorts. Um, so that is not realized still in India, for instance. Uh, we haven't realized things like distributed network protocols. So which countries have... Uh realize that uh, teleporting quantum teleportation. teleportation so i mean there are groups which for instance in epfl uh, equal uh, uh, you know uh, equal uh, in, in in switzerland and in and in france for instance uh, in the uk as well there have been experiments on this in the us obviously there have been experiments as well um, so there are groups which have been trying to do this um, so um, but at the same time one has to realize that this is only possible for quantum systems and quantum systems are minuscule subatomic systems or or, or very small systems um, as soon as we go to a larger system so you know because i was i'm saying this because we may think we may be able to teleport human beings next um, that is not possible because um, you know human beings are classical systems they they lose their quantum ness so to say uh, and that is a big problem theoretically speaking as to how uh, there are actually two problems one is to see how decoherence or or this loss of quantumness can be reduced and the other is what can be done to have these things happen in room temperature or or in normal circumstances of let's say pressure and temperature so to say uh, because these things these applications are usually done in very specific environments so you need to have a certain let's say some systems need very low temperature um, some systems have high pressure conditions so there are very kind of niche uh, lab-based conditions which are required at the moment as the experiments stand um, so the next step is obviously to go beyond that. Um, but not everything is grim in India, I mean, so to say. Uh, there has been some progress uh, in terms of, for instance, this new work that was done in IIT Bombay, um, where they tried to see how um, there can be a novel setup proposed uh, to carry out quantum information processing at room temperatures. Um, and uh, this was using a stack of specially uh, designed layered materials, so to say. Uh, and this was funded by the Department of Science and Technology, uh, the government of India. Uh, and uh, so this is a major field. This, this whole idea of how it can be done in normal circumstances is important because obviously you wouldn't want a computer where you have to go to a certain, you know, uh, a cryogenic facility, for instance. Uh, you would rather want it to be in your at your desk, uh, you know, in, in certain uh, normal circumstances. So this is a very interesting thing that has been done. Um, and otherwise, in terms of theory, we have gone quite far, essentially. Uh, but in terms of experiment, uh, we still have to catch up, uh, essentially, around the world. There, has been, there have been things where we are, let's say, even 20 years behind, um, you know, some of the groups which are out there. Uh, but we are trying to make progress. We are, we are working towards that direction. So uh, let's hope that, you know, we, we go um, uh, in a sure-footed and, and in a good manner in that way. Yeah. So, you know, the, the difference between theory and implementation is that theory can come by an individual in isolation. So right. yeah. you could be a brilliant theoretical physicist and you don't, you don't, for your breakthroughs, unlike the, the guy who's actually implementing this in a, in a lab, he needs facilities, he needs infrastructure, Absolutely. he needs expensive gadgetry, he needs a place, uh, very high, 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 with a lot of conditioning there. Uh, and so that is, that is not something you can have decentralized, you need a physical place where yes. lots of people can work together. Whereas yeah. theoretical physicists, you can be in a cave somewhere. All you, <laughs> need, all you need is an internet and you yeah. can be in a nice place sitting some, you know, wonderful yeah. isolated place and doing your work. And so uh, Indians are very good at the theory level because if the government hasn't done its job, if the industry, uh, the institutions aren't there to do all this, individuals in their own capacity and nothing stops them they can just do their you can have a one-man show here and a one-man show there and these yeah. individuals in their personal capacity people like you can coordinate with each other so individual to individual collaboration as theories goes on 
Yes, 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 absolutely. Yeah, and but but there there has been some progress in terms of um, uh, you know the government has actually tried to f uh, fuel or like tried to invest, so to say, in this area. It has tried to support groups which are out there. So to give you a very specific instance here, uh, in the budget 2020 speech, for instance, yes. uh, the finance minister of India, Nirmala Sitharamanji, uh, she made a very welcome announcement uh, for Indian science, saying that over the next five years, um, the government is planning to spend a proposed spending of around 8,000 crore rupees um, in what is known as the National Mission on Quantum Technologies and Applications. Um, right. Previously, India has also started this thing called Quest, uh, which is quantum-enabled um, science and technology in 2018, uh, with an investment of about 80 crore rupees, uh, you know, around $11 million, uh, over the next three years to develop quantum technology as well. So there, are, there is development on that front, and the government is taking it seriously, so to say. Uh, but I think still um, there are some areas which I was as, as I was mentioning there needs to be a prioritization of let's say cutting edge technology uh, we should not uh, you know repeat or duplicate things which maybe have been done in the west we should try to kind of you know, go at uh, those area in those areas um, where work hasn't been done all that much. So in that regard, I think the work by IIT Bombay, the group in IIT Bombay was really good um, because the concept of decoherence and this problem is something which is out there internationally. It's something which, you know, is affecting everybody who's working on quantum technology. Um, so any progress on that front will be really kind of good, um, you know, for, for the entire community, so to say, of researchers. So that's good. So... The, what uh, the finance minister announced is about a billion dollars, about a billion dollars investment yeah. over five years. So 200 million a year. That's a good start. That's a good start. Yes. It's way ahead of where we were. So, so the, the government understands the problem. But still, if China has 10 billion dollars, 10 yes. billion dollars, and we have 200 million a year, I mean, it's still a huge amount. Plus, they've been at it for a long time. They've been at it for. So, so the, the thing, the point I was making is that uh, the instead of scattered individuals, there's also something about scattering versus centralized you know, funding. Uh, we have a lot of bright people, either one man or four or five people in a group here and there doing this kind of work. And they are friends and they collaborate with each other on the internet. And, and then they have a conference and they meet and all that. So that level is going on. But if there were something like a BARC or something like an ISRO, I mean, imagine if ISRO were, didn't exist and you had a lot of space scientists, brilliant space scientists, and presenting papers. And somebody has a little lab with 10 people and somebody has a lab with 25 people and a lot of budget here and there scattered. You know, you would not have a space program because you, that's not about writing papers and doing some lab experiments and, and so on. It's about building things. So if India wants to build a quantum computer, and build teleportation and build, you know, these encryption systems and so on. Then you need you need a mission oriented. Uh, you need not only research but also R and D, the D part of it, the development part of it. And you need to have a, a, a big enterprise uh, led by some very brilliant senior person who and it has to take on goals like okay, we have this milestone, we have that milestone, we have that milestone. And so ISRO ISRO starting from nowhere. Uh, in international competition, came up with milestones to catch up and go beyond in some in some respects. Absolutely, I mean, I mean, Chandrayaan, for instance, right? I mean, they were the ones who actually found what I mean, the, the whole idea of finding water on the moon. I mean, Chandrayaan and uh, various others were very instrumental, and uh, even beyond what NASA did, essentially. Um, yes. So that was something which was so out, you know, out front in the front, essentially. Also, cost effectiveness of launching, uh, you know, all these mini satellites and all that stuff. The, the, yes. I'm not forced to contend with. I mean, of course, 
of course, now I don't want to digress, but the next generation of space technologies, people like SpaceX, are reusable and, yes. and the private sector. So, so they're going to take, uh, go ahead even further uh, and ISRO will have to catch up, but at least ISRO is there. So, you know, for my feeling is that for artificial intelligence and quantum computing type of things, which yes. are all closely knit, there needs to be a huge enterprise uh, running with big budget. And this enterprise needs to uh, then, you know, funnel work in the IITs and TIFRs and coordinate work and get industry sponsors. So there has to be a kind of a consortium approach, which India hasn't done. Uh, before we conclude, I want to also get your opinion on something that has troubled me and I mentioned it in many, uh, many places that India's patent law has a flaw because yes. it does not recognize software. What yes. is your view on this? Why? I mean, there's a patent law so that algorithms, yes. uh, programs are not considered intellectual property that uh, somebody in India can get a patent, but you can yes. get a patent on this in another country. Yes. You can get patents on this in China, but the same thing, you cannot get patent in India. It's a very backward idea. What, what, what do you think about all this? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm going back to the point that you raised uh, just now, which is that, um, you know, there is a certain brain drain of sorts. I mean, uh, it's so unfortunate to see that many of the people who are working in quantum technology, uh, for instance, in IBM or Microsoft, many are of Indian origin, for instance, um, and there isn't um, a certain natural kind of coming back or feeding back into the Indian quantum technology domain or scene, so to say, beyond a point. Um, and I do feel that a big part of it is to do with uh, certain structural constraints. So one of them, uh, is the one that you mentioned, um, which is to do with uh, the specific section, section 3K of the Patents Act in of 1970, uh, which excludes quantum uh, computer programs uh, uh, from and also algorithms from patentability in India. So you cannot patent a, a computer program or algorithm, so to say. Uh, the exact words are, you know, what are not inventions? Uh, the following are not inventions. So they mention about the inventions. Uh, and uh, in, in section K, they mention a mathematical or business method or a computer program per se or algorithm cannot be patentable within the country. So this is excluded from the scope of patentability. Um, so this immediately brings in the problem that um, there may be a cutting edge kind of you know, research and, and, and a finding, let's say even uh, there may be things which, which can really drive the scene from within the country. Uh, but because of certain, you know, these certain constraints, these legal constraints, so to say, uh, that may not be facilitated as best as it should be, essentially. Um, so um, that, is, that is one problem there. Um, also, it has been seen, and I don't want to criticize um, you know, any entity here, especially not the government, because it has done so much in recent times. Um, but some of the groups have mentioned how there is still a need for the implementation part of the, let's say, the financing and the funding and the support that has still not kind of gone through to the extent it should have or, or it, it can uh, you know go through um, and that needs to be looked at very closely because um, there are groups which for instance were committed you know funds for instance and they have had a little bit of problem with getting it in uh, into their groups uh, probably this has to do with covid as well because you know there are obviously constraints uh, the government has to kind of consider when it is looking at the situation um, so we need to have these certain constraints and problems and barriers so to say uh, legal technical financial and to do with implementation, which needs to be evened out if we want to have a good quantum technology mission in India. Very good. So this is why I have this book, to shake up and wake up uh, right. our, our leaders and our policymakers so yes. that uh, they can open the, 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 the doors for people like yes. you to move forward. So I want to read out one more time. The Indian yes. Patent Act of 1970. 
it is it, it says what are not inventions so it's a, yes. as, as you mentioned the following are not inventions within the meaning of this act a mathematical or business method or computer program per se or algorithms so you know these are not considered inventions but you know the amount of uh, uh, biological breakthrough medicine breakthrough all uh, the ai based machine learning algorithms and you don't have the physical molecule but you have this uh, intellectual property it's all intellectual property so it, on the one hand we say we are this we want to be this vishwa guru and this is all about intellect and we are we are the brains of the world and we are knowledge economy but come on knowledge intellect requires respecting computer programs and algorithms yes. it's not the physicality of a machine that you somebody has built that can be patented but also yeah. this kind of an intellectual approach to it which has to be patented and china respects it japan respects it usa europe european union what's yes. the matter this is 50 year old law uh, for 1970 so one of the things i want to make an appeal through this yes the authorities should wake up so that let's just make a list of short things one is the patent act should be amended 50 years old to bring algorithms and programs into uh, patentable uh, you know space the second is there should be an isro or barc scale central organization with a huge funding uh, for this whole what i call the ai umbrella with quantum computing in it and various other things in it robotics in it uh, space aerospace all of these things in it so the aerospace already in isro but uh, these other new uh, informational technologies kind of yes, thing yes yeah computational informational technologies so this has to be the future is uh, is computational and 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 this computational intelligence artificial intelligence quantum intelligence has to be of a very big scale um, so india needs to do that and then this mechanism can take the brains uh, we have lots of brains and make them do things physical things towards you know tangible milestones and bring together the universities the 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 labs the private industry the industry sector get them involved and i'm also disappointed that the reliances of the world the infosys the tcs they are not behaving like uh, you know like toshiba and hitachi and ibm and labs and and microsoft and uh, google and these kind of people do they, because they are at the cutting edge of technology and in india these are they, what they are doing is importing mostly american you know intellectual property and chinese hardware and then importing it and making a lot of money and saying we are very because we got more mobile phones but those mobile phones is not no intellectual property in india i yeah. mean the hardware is chinese and the network itself or net, network protocols and the software are all americans uh, so like that we keep saying that we have the biggest installed base which means we are the biggest customer of the foreign technology if you are very proud of having if you are very proud of having the biggest installed base of whatsapp yeah. and the biggest installed base of facebook and one of the top two or three for google we are really proud as customers sure. we are proud as consumers and not as producers they are the yeah. producers and we are the consumers and we are very proud of that this has to change and and you i think raised a very important point i mean reliance for instance i mean with the whole geo uh, you know revolution or this whole transformation that they're trying that they're trying essentially in certain fronts in technology wise they're trying to change the way communication happens um, so it is only natural for a company like that i mean which has a na- nationwide reach uh, which has the capability in terms of finances and if it really wants it can also go and liaise and tie up with certain groups for instance to try and build something on this front at least have one lab which looks at um, let's say a very tar- 
targeted um, you know implementation of quantum computation in the communication sector so to say uh, and that will spur for instance funding and support to certain groups to kind of look into that aspect of things the government on the side can always keep on looking at the central institution and how to have various platforms for computation and communication uh, purposes as well so this public private uh, tie up this this uh, you know synergy so to say i think is very important for us to uh, as we go forward yeah that would require a change of mind and heart heart yeah. on the part of yeah. the indian billionaires that, that that earnings per share and growth in earnings in the stock market and in sensex all that is not the only important criteria nation building is their job and it's not just building a poor hospital which is important the building hospital and stuff like that but they have to invest in the big shots it's a huge gamble these these are billion dollar gambles china is making some bets you have to give credit to china they have made some huge Absolutely. bets Absolutely. you know they made some huge bets in the billion dollar 10 billion dollar bets which only a major enterprise can make and they're making bets which are not only large amount of money but it'll take a decade before results come out but if you are right then you'll take over the world so it's a people like the mukesh ambani who got to do that it's a, it's a people like uh, anand mahindra who got to do that it's people like the tatras is is i mean they have nothing to lose because they've got everything they possibly need so they should take a good part of their wealth and their capital and their clout and and their, you know credibility and invest in the long shot what's called the moon shot that's the term moon shot meaning really out there but if you are successful it will be you take your country and your people to the next level they have to do this and they are not doing it they're just basically now geo is a good commercial venture because you can take over the retailing from all the small street vendors yeah. and <laughs> and you can have you know lacks of your own virtual shops and stores and you become the, like the you know the the amazon and all that so you are kind of in a sense uh, uh, eating into it, it's it's a kind of cannibalizing the small retailers and making tons of money and becoming very famous and so they're bringing in the technology which will help them do that but that's not new technology they they are not bringing but getting a facebook investment or a google investment is not a breakthrough for india i just want people to know that they, yeah. the breakthrough for india would be to invest in these kind of things that amritunjoy has been talking about thank yes. you very much and and i'll, I'll we'll keep talking i mean i'm not uh, I'm I'm not done. We are just going to stir things up. Starts, yes. <laughs> I think the whole idea of uh, AI and also in terms of neural networks and consciousness, which we also discussed, I think that's an area which um, you know is is there's a lot of things to discuss there as well. So I look forward to having discussions with you on that. Yes, and wonderful to have you. Thank you very much, everybody, and namaste. Thank you, Rajesh.